You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. The full-time job that I had when Nozomi and I first got married, I sold custom home theater systems. That sounds probably kind of boring. We sold really cool stuff, though, really expensive stuff. Um, I enjoyed it. I like technology. I like sound. And we'd have different rooms in our show floor. We'd have TVs. We had projectors. We had whatever. My favorite room was the speaker room. I like audio. And the speaker room was unique in that we had just a bunch of speakers set up. We had pairs of speakers, floor-standing speakers, bookshelf speakers, surround speakers, whatever. We also had various amplifiers and then various audio sources. And with this system of buttons, you could pick and choose whatever combination of audio source, amp, and speaker that you want to listen to. It was amazing. I'd sit in there for, if we didn't have customers, I'd just sit in there for hours and listen to music. It would sound absolutely amazing. But some of our stuff was expensive. Uh, we'd have some speakers that were 50 bucks a pair, but I think the most expensive that we kept in store were 7000 a piece. So to get the pair, it's $14,000 for the two speakers. Some of you, that might sound insane. My dream speakers that I would want to hear someday are $140,000 a piece. So the pair is 280000 If you guys have a pair at home, please let me know. I'd love to come listen to them sometime because I'm pretty sure that I'm never going to own them. But we'd have customers come in and they're like, all right, I want to upgrade my man cave. I want to upgrade my home theater. I want to go, I want, I want some new speakers. So they'd come in, they'd listen to all the speakers, they'd put in the super audio CD, they'd choose the amplifier, they'd listen. These look amazing, they sound amazing. All right, let's go. They'd walk over to the speaker and then they'd flip over the price tag. Hard pass, thank you. I'm good. I actually don't even know if I want a man cave or a home theater anymore. That attitude towards the prices of speakers is often an attitude that we can have when we come to today's topic, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness sounds good to us. It sounds like, I want that. It sounds ideal. It sounds good. Pretty sure that the Bible tells me I'm supposed to do that thing. But then we figure out how much it's going to cost us. We're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll, I'll figure out a different way. Or it's not that we don't want to pay that amount. I'm going to have to move this stuff because I'm over a lot. I'm sorry, Nate. It may be also, it's not the fact that we don't want to pay it. It's like, we don't think we can. I just don't have that money. To forgive this offense against, against me, to forgive this sin against me, I don't have. I can't. I just, I can't. I cannot do that. Today, as we look at forgiveness, we're going to be in several different passages, but I'm hoping to perhaps change and correct some misconceptions about forgiveness to help you think about it differently. So we're going to start today in Ephesians 4, 32. We're just going to read one quick verse there, but Ephesians 4, 32, I would read it to you, but I think it's important that we read for ourselves from God's word 
what he has for us. Ephesians is a book of the Bible that is close to the, close to the end. Ephesians 4.32, and honestly, we're going to focus on the last half of it, but we'll read the whole thing together. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What I want to attempt to do this morning is to somewhat reverse engineer the last half of this verse. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want to start at the end. If we're expected to forgive one another, the Bible also tells us how we're supposed to do that as God in Christ forgave us. How have we been forgiven? How have we been forgiven by God? What, has, what does that look like? If we're Christians, we've been forgiven our sins. How has he forgiven us? Now, I do not want you to jump ahead in that, okay, because th- mm, this verse can sometimes be used as a bludgeon or it can be weaponized. Like, God's forgiven you, so you need to go out and forgive everybody. And that's the end of story. We don't talk about the difficulties of that. We don't talk about how to do that. It's just like, you've been forgiven, you need to go forgive. So as I've used the word forgive 50 times so far this morning already, you probably have in your mind relational issues that you've experienced or are experiencing right now, difficulties in forgiveness, because forgiveness is a hard thing to do. Whatever that particular scenario is that you have in mind, I want you to just put it in a box and put it in a closet in your mind for now. What we're going to do is we're going to focus on God's forgiveness of you. Again, if you're a Christian, your sins are forgiven in Christ. I want us to just meditate and look at God's forgiveness of us. In order to do that, let's move to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, we find a parable. A parable is a story, a fictional story, that is told to push home one or more points, main points. And this is Jesus speaking here in Matthew 18, and this is one of his parables that he was teaching his audience with. We're not going to read the whole thing right now. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to read verses 23 through 27, and again, we're looking at God's forgiveness of his people. If you are a Christian, this is true of you. Beginning verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Stop there. I want to look this morning with you at both the quality and the quantity of our forgiveness. But again, to remind you, I want you to sit and just Meditate on this, but again, everything else, push out of your mind. Um, when we lived in Japan, there's something very unique about Japan, and it's their public bathhouses called onsen. And they're a fantastic thing. Culturally, not everybody had running water, not everybody had hot water, so what we would do after a long day of work, you would go to the bathhouse, you'd pay your couple bucks, and you'd be able to enjoy a nice hot bath. Uh, 
And baths for us Americans, some of us are like, yes, I love baths. Some are like, I'm good with my shower. The thing about baths is they're so relaxing and comfortable. There's healing properties to them. I did not grow up with baths, but when I experienced a bathhouse in Japan, that's a different thing. If you can get over being naked with a few dozen strangers, uh, it's a really <laughs> enjoyable experience. They are, they are uh, separated by gender, so that, it doesn't get weird in that way. But you go in, you shower off first, that's an important part of this, you have to be clean before you get into any of the tubs. But you shower off and then, you, then that is when the relaxation begins. You have super hot tubs, you have lukewarm tubs, you have cold tubs, you have tubs with low voltage electricity going through them that feel like tingly when you get inside to help relax your muscles. You have waterfalls, there's indoor, there's outdoor. Outdoor are my personal favorites. In the winter time, when it's like 20 degrees outside, you've got this super hot bath and then you're, you can kind of decide how much of the body you want in the water, how much you want out, depending on how hot or cold you want to be. Just super relaxing. And that's how I want you to think about what we're going to be looking at right now, God's forgiveness of us to just sit in that bath and let it soak. Let it soak into your skin, let it soak into your muscle tissue, let it soak into your bones, God's forgiveness of you. As we look at the quantity coming back here to Matthew 18, he says that the servant, that's us, the servant that owed 10,000 talents, that's us. He says he owed 10,000 talents. Now in the Bible and in ancient literature, when they use the number 10,000, that's like saying, it's like little kids when they say infinity plus infinity. My dad can beat up your dad. Well, my dad can beat up your dad plus infinity. It's kind of the same thing. It's a number that has no scale. It's this huge thing. But I think to help us kind of understand the scale a little bit more, to help us put handles on what we've been forgiven, let's talk about 10,000 talents. Different scholars come up with different numbers, but a commonly accepted one is one talent is equal to 20 years worth of wages for a day labor. One talent, 20 years of wages. This dude owed 10,000 talents. Let's make it more real. Let's say you make $50,000 a year. Some of you in this room make more, some of you make less. We're gonna go with 50,000. Make $50,000 a year. That is equivalent to you owing a bill on which the payment is $100,000 a month for 1,000 years. I don't have $100,000 to cover one month. 1,000 years, we're talking 1022. That's like Monty Python, the search for the Holy Grail times. Magna Carta was 1250. I think Black Death was 1350. You have Christopher Columbus, 1492. Samurai rose to power in 1550. Like we're talking about all these years, $100,000 a month. That scale, even when we put numbers on it that are more familiar to our ears, it's still like, that's insane. The amount that was forgiven. But friends, it's even more than that, our sin has been forgiven by God. It's the quantity, now let's look at the quality of our forgiveness. When we talk about our debt to God and we, we convert it to money, it can lose the personal aspect of it. But our sin is incredibly personal. It is a relational debt that God has forgiven us. So those numbers are huge, but attached sins 
to those dollar signs. We're horrible at valuing our sin as God does. But just for the sake of argument, let's play with that for a minute. What's a $50 sin to you? What's a $100 sin to you? What's a $1,000 sin to you? How big would a sin have to be to be a $100,000 sin? Every month for a thousand years. That is our debt to God. Next week, Eric will be wrapping up our Hosea series. But as we've gone through Hosea, we've been giving a beautiful picture of our relational debt to our God in the picture of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer was forgiven over and over, loved over and over, but was still unfaithful over and over again. That relational debt is our debt to God that has been forgiven. It has been forgiven. It's not only a relational debt, it's also been forgiven us freely. Don't turn there, but I want you to listen to Titus. Titus chapter three, there's many different passages that we could go to for this, but Titus chapter three, I love. Titus three, three through seven says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 10,000 talents, a mountain of relational debt. There's no way back. We can't pay that. It doesn't matter how long we live. It doesn't matter how much money we make. It doesn't matter how good we are. We're not coming back from that. And God forgives anyway. He doesn't expect anything in return. There's nothing we can give. The forgiveness that he's offered to us is free and clear. And it's not only that. He's also accepted us back relationally and restored us relationally. He's joyfully welcomed and accepted and loved us. Brittany, earlier today, read to us from Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And when that prodigal son screws up everything and he comes home and he says, Father, please forgive me, there's no finger wagging. There's no, I don't know, son, do you really understand how bad you messed up? There's no guilt trip. There's just joy. The father is overwhelmed with joy that his child has come back and he's restored. He celebrates that. Friends, all these are very small vignettes of your forgiveness, if you are a Christian this morning, of your forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ. And again, back to our Japanese bathhouse. Soak in that. Sit in that. Enjoy that. That is true of you if you are a son or daughter of God. Your sins have been forgiven totally and fully. And we turn to talking about forgiveness not our forgiveness that we've received horizontally, or excuse me, vertically, but the forgiveness that we function in or we try to function in horizontally with our fellow brothers and sisters. What does that look like? How do we do this? For some of you that are sitting here this morning, you, this is incredibly real. Others of you, it's like, yeah, I forgive all the time, whatever. 
But for some of us, we've been hurt in ways that are unimaginable to other people. We don't talk about it because of how bad it is. And while we're going to talk about forgiveness today, I want you to know that your pain and your suffering is real. And it hurts. And it's not going to be minimized as we talk here this morning. But as much of a struggle as that is, if you allow me, I'd like to take your hand and we'll look at a few different passages to hopefully correct how you've been thinking about forgiveness so we can think about this and how God wants us to think about it, how it's explained in Scripture. So instead of talking about what forgiveness is, I'd like to start out by talking about what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. Sometimes we see that price tag, we're like, mm, price tag on the speakers, I can't pay that. But sometimes we don't understand exactly what that means. So, we talked about God's forgiveness of us, now we move on to what forgiveness is not. First and foremost, forgiveness is not synonymous with reconciliation and or trust. Forgiveness is not synonymous with reconciliation and or trust. What does that mean? When I extend forgiveness to a person that has wronged me, when you extend forgiveness to a person that has wronged you, That does not mean that your relationship automatically snaps back to what it was before that offense. It just doesn't work that way. A real-world example. Let's say I get into a business agreement with Ronald. I choose Ronald because I can hurt his feelings and he'll be okay. I get into a business agreement with Ronald. We talk it through. This is how much we're going to pay. We're going to go in 50-50. We sign papers. A few months later, I find out, Oh, Ronald, Ronald messed me up. This contract isn't right. He took advantage of me in this. I'm like, man, that's messed up, but I'm gonna, I, I need to forgive Ronald. I'm going to forgive Ronald. So I forgive Ronald. But does that mean the next day Ronald's like, man, thank you so much for giving me for that. I've got this other business idea. <laughs> so let me show you the paperwork. Me loving Ronald, me forgiving Ronald does not mean that I get back into bed in business with him the next day. That trust is going to take time to be restored. That's been broken. Our relationships as well, that relational reconciliation, that has also been broken, depending on the offense that you're living in, that you're trying to work through. And that's a process to get back there. Sometimes trust and the relationship has been broken to a place where we will never get back to what it was before. It's just the reality of living in a sin-broken world. But when you think of forgiveness, it is not synonymous with reconciliation and or trust. Those are separate things, forgiveness and trust. Secondly, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not downgrading or denial of the offense. Some of us, when we think, I need to forgive this person, but I can't, the reason that we believe we can't is because for us to say we forgive them feels like we're saying whatever happened to us never happened. It's like we're erasing the thing. And that feels wrong. That feels unjust. That's because it is wrong. It isn't, it isn't just. Those things have happened to us. They are real. Forgiveness is not denying that you've been hurt at all. It's also not saying it's not, not downgrading that sin to something lesser than it was. If we do that, we're not representing the sin the way that God sees it. Let me give you a practical way that we do this. This is a kind of a, a 
a small generic way. I'll use Ronald again. You can tell I'm making these up as we go. Ronald, how am I going to do this? Uh, when we downgrade that offense, Ronald does something, and he's like, man, Chris, please forgive me for this. I say, Ronald, it's okay. It's not a big deal. It wasn't anything, because I don't want to offend Ronald. I don't want to make it a big deal. It feels weird to say, like, I forgive you. But when I downgrade that, I don't represent that sin as what it really is. What I need to say is, Ronald, yes, you've sinned against me, but I forgive you. It's not downgrading it to something else. It's also not denying the sin or the offense that happened. Forgiveness is neither of those things. It's not a denial, and it's not a downgrading. Third, forgiveness is not a magic potion that makes all problems go away. I think sometimes forgiveness is sold as this. Man, you just need to forgive, and then all your problems will go away. If you can just get there in your heart, if you can get there in your mind and just say, I forgive you, then the next day, like, you're going to feel better. Everything's going to be good. So we, we, do the, we do the hard work. We're like, I need to forgive this person. I pray. I can't. Can't I do this? We get our heart to a spot where we finally say, I forgive you. It feels good. There's this, been this massive buildup until we finally say, I forgive you. We go to bed. The next morning we wake up. Man, this doesn't feel a lot different than it did yesterday. I'm still struggling with ill will towards them. I'm still struggling with honestly hating this person for what they did to me. Is this what forgiveness is? I, I thought, I thought like, all these problems were going to go away. I, th I thought they were going to disappear. I thought everything was going to feel good now. This weight that's on my shoulders, that's on my chest, this thing that's everywhere all the time. Why isn't that gone? Friends, forgiveness is not a magic potion that makes all of our problems go away. It's not the end of a process. That leads us to our next section that we're going to go into. We've been talking about what forgiveness is not. Now let's talk about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not the end of a process. It's the beginning of one. I wish it wasn't this way. I wish that we could build up to it and then we'd just have this, this I forgive and then everything's good again. Forgiveness is not the end of the process, my friends. Forgiveness is the beginning of one. And what is that process? Brad Hambrick has this helpful quote that you'll see on the screen. Forgiveness is what allows us to express hurt as hurt rather than hurt as anger. It's good, right? Forgiveness is what allows us to express hurt as hurt rather than hurt as anger. Remember what we talked about before? Forgiveness is not a denial of being wronged. We're not saying that we don't hurt. We're not saying that this isn't hard. We're not saying that it didn't happen. We're saying it hurts, and it hurts bad, and it hurts deep. It's probably going to hurt for a long time. But by us forgiving, we recognize and we reorient ourselves towards that offense, instead of wanting to lash out in anger, now we can actually process it for what it is, a hurt that we have received from someone else. That is what forgiveness is. It's being able to say, wow, that really hurts, instead of how dare you. 
It's getting into that tub of God's forgiveness again and soaking in that, reminding ourselves that our identity is in Christ and not in what this person has done to me. In some instances, the road back to forgiveness, even to forgive, is very long. And then the processing of that afterwards is a really long road. Do not give up. It is good. It is worth it. But I do not want you to think that forgiveness is easy. That's both for the person that is, that is trying to forgive, trying to get there. It's also for the person seeking that forgiveness. If you've wronged someone else and you go and seek their forgiveness and you get a response that's like, I, I don't know if I can. Friend, be patient with that person. Be loving with that person. Understand that you have hurt them deeply and that they need time to process that. They need time to get there. And you get in that same tub. The person, when you have offended someone else and you go and seek forgiveness and you're not immediately able to get that forgiveness from that person, that's going to make you feel better. Friend, your identity is secure in Christ. You have received forgiveness from everything that you have ever done through Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you haven't hurt that person, but it means that you are secure in that. And you will keep walking patiently and lovingly with that person, seeking to restore trust, seeking to restore reconciliation with that person. But be patient with them and let them work through that process. Forgiveness is the beginning of a process, not the end of one. Forgiveness is also freedom. Forgiveness is freedom. It's freedom from being controlled by what someone else has done to you. Sometimes when we are hurt, we are hurt in ways that are so deep that it begins to define who we are. It begins to define how we function with other people. It, it controls how we think. We're constantly mulling over. I can't believe this happened to me. What am I going to do? It just comes in and takes over. Friends, forgiveness, again, is reorienting our heart to be able to see hurt is hurt instead of hurt is anger, processing it differently. But it's also finding ourselves safe and secure in that identity we have in Christ. You are not what has happened to you. You are first and foremost forgiven son or daughter of God. That is who you are, not what has happened to you. You're not first and foremost a divorcee. You're not first and foremost an abuse victim. You're not first and foremost bankrupt. You're not first and foremost the husband of an unfaithful wife. You're a son and a daughter of God. You are secure in that. It does not discount how you've been hurt. It does not do that at all. But it is freedom from living in that and from finding your identity in that hurt. Your identity is separate from that. We've talked about what forgiveness is not talked about what forgiveness is, and please, I hope that you assume this, but these lists are not exhaustive at all. We have a limited amount of time, and these are the ones that I chose to go over. Forgiveness is the beginning of a process. It is also freedom. But now I want to turn to our last point, our last major section here, which is the dangers of not forgiving. The dangers of not forgiving. I'm not a medical professional at all. I have no certificates, I have no training, but I have some friends that are doctors and that's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> when you blow a knee, when you blow an Achilles tendon, a lot of times you have to have surgery. 
And after that surgery, you don't put any weight on that thing. Doctors tell you not to. It's dangerous. You're going to further damage the thing if you do. But after that, that injury, that knee, that ankle, whatever it is, has been given time to heal, those doctors are going to change their tune. What are they going to say then? So you need to start putting some weight on this joint. Because if you don't, you're going to completely lose any faculty that it has. Any function that you have in that joint, you're going to lose. You have to start putting weight a little at a time, and it hurts, and it's going to take a long time. I remember a buddy, we'd play basketball together. He blew his left knee, I think, twice, his right knee once. No, there's nothing left in there. There's no cartilage, nothing, and he would still keep coming back to basketball. But I remember watching him every time he'd blow a knee. It was a good six months of rehab, and it was hard work that he had to do. But if he wanted to use that knee again, he had to do it. Friends, forgiveness is very similar to that. Right after that initial hurt, the best thing for you is just take all weight off of it. Rest, try to process that, whatever it is that happened to you. But we cannot perpetually stay in that state. There's a time where that needs to happen that is good and that is right. But if we never put weight back on that knee, we'll never be able to use it again. The first danger that I'd like to talk about of not forgiving this morning links up to that freedom that we talked about before. Before, what forgiveness is, it's freedom. Freedom allows us to stop mulling over this thing, to stop living in this thing, to stop reliving it, to stop like calculating all this and keeping a ledger, and this person did this and this and this, and just controls our minds. It's all we can think of. We can't get to anything else. It begins with anger, right? Remember that Brad Hambrick quote of earlier? Forgiveness allows us to express hurt as hurt instead of hurt as anger. Before we get to forgiveness, we hold on to that anger. How could this have happened to me? And anger is a dangerous thing. Anger is a dangerous thing. Frederick Buckner has this to say about it. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. When we're hurt, and there are people in this room that have been hurt in massive ways, we're hurt, it feels like the only way to make this thing right is to make that person understand and feel how much they've hurt me. And until they realize that, to forgive them feels like to deny the hurt that I'm feeling. It feels like to deny truth. It feels like it's unjust. Do they not understand how much they've hurt me? We hold on to that anger, but the problem with that anger is we sit and we stew in it. That anger becomes bitterness. That bitterness gets into our bones and we go septic. To where it's everywhere. It affects all of our relationships. It affects all of our thinking. We're controlled by it. There is nothing else in our lives. And we slowly shrink and shrivel because we have not been able to forgive. Hard, yes, 
but don't lose the ability to walk because you're unable to forgive. It's like a voodoo doll, right? The idea of the voodoo doll is you have this like thing, this doll that represents someone else, and everything you do to that voodoo doll hurts that other person. If I put a pin in the arm, then they feel a pain in the arm. If I burn the foot, then they feel a burn in the foot. If I smother it, then they're smothered. That's what we do with our unforgiveness. If we stay in that perpetually, I'm not talking about right after the offense happens, but if we perpetually and voluntarily stay in this position of not forgiving other people, we're taking that voodoo doll and we're trying to hurt that other person because we've been hurt. As much as we want that voodoo doll to hurt the other person, the voodoo doll is not connected to them, it's connected to us. We're destroying ourselves by staying in that anger and it becomes rot inside our soul. Dangers of not forgiving, we destroy ourselves. Secondly, we disrespect God's rightful place as judge. Romans 12, 19, Paul is speaking. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy, but he says, avenge not yourselves. Do not avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. That's God's place. Over time, after the offenses happen, if we are voluntarily deciding to not forgive because of how much we hurt out of vengeance, friends, we're taking God's place. We're saying, God, usually it's fine for you to be on the judge's bench. I'm good with that. But in this instance, I'm going to need you to take a recess. I'm going to be judge in this case, and I'm going to decide when they've paid enough. I'm going to decide if they're worthy of forgiveness at all. All of us have experienced this feeling of wanting to get revenge for being hurt. It's real, I'm not denying that. But friends, when we do that, we're taking God's place. We are not just, we can't be. But God is. So however you've been wronged, rest assured it will be taken care of. There are no sins that are going to go unpunished. There's two ways that sins are punished. We take that punishment in eternal hell, where Jesus Christ has taken that punishment for us, but every single sin is paid for. God will make sure of that. So do not step into the shoes of God. Do not take glory away from him. Do not put yourself in his spot. Vengeance is his. Do not avenge yourselves. Finally, dangers of not forgiving. We destroy ourselves. We disrespect God's rightful place as judge. Thirdly, we deny God's forgiveness. We deny God's forgiveness. If you can turn back with me to one of the places we started, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. We're going to go back to the same parable. We're going to read the last few verses. What happens in the rest of this parable, you have the servant that was forgiven the 10,000 talents. As soon as he was forgiven, he wasn't joyful. What he did, he went out and he found a fellow servant that owed him some cash, owed him some lunch money, owed him, owed him comparatively nothing. He grabs him by the neck, he throttles him, he says, where's my money, man? The other servant's like, I don't have your money, I'm so sorry. Give me some time, I'll pay it back. He says, nope, prison, right now. Well, the king who had forgiven the debt of 10,000 talents, he's like, are you kidding me? So he calls the unforgiving servant back in. He says, how, what? 
I just forgave you. How are you acting like this? Let's read our verses here. Starting in verse 32, Matthew 18, verse 32, it says this. Then his master summoned him, this is the king summoning the unforgiving servant, and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And here's the twist, here's the reveal. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I am not trying to use this verse, and I don't think this is the intention of the verse, to scare you into keeping a ledger of every wrong and making sure that you've forgiven everything until the day you die or else God won't forgive you. That's not what this verse means. In the same way that 1 John tells us that you can tell a person is a Christian by their love for their brothers and sisters. If they love their brothers and sisters, the love of God is in them as well. It's the same principle here. If we choose not to forgive, we're exposing ourselves as having not been changed. We have not experienced God's forgiveness. We are not in him. A Christian does not, in perpetuity, forever, voluntarily choose a position of unforgiveness. Is it hard? Yes. Does it take a long time? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. Does it cost you? Absolutely. But friends, again, remember that bathtub. Get into the tub. Soak again in the truth of your forgiveness that you've received through Jesus Christ. And then over time, get to the place where you can extend that forgiveness to others. You haven't paid it. God has paid it on your behalf. But for us to deny forgiveness to other people could be a sign that we have not experienced that forgiveness ourselves. I'm not saying that if you struggle with forgiveness that you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am trying to do is represent this verse the way I think that we should apply it. And if we're living in long-term sin, whether that's forgiveness or anything else, we have reason to question our Christianity. Friends, when God instructs us to forgive, he's not asking us to deny we were hurt. He's not asking us to recklessly throw ourselves back into damaging relationships. He calls us to forgive because that's the best thing for us. It is freeing. It is Christ-like. To forgive is what is best for us. That's what God tells us. That's his will for us. So my call to action to you this morning is to trust God in that, that that is true, and to start walking towards being able to forgive those that have wronged you. There's so much to say about forgiveness. Many of you that might be sitting here this morning and say, yeah, like, he doesn't get it. He didn't say everything that could be said. Listen, we could do a six-week study on this. It's not my intention to hit everything. I do want to hit high points and to get you thinking and to hopefully reorient the way that you think about forgiveness. If this is something that you struggle with, I would highly, highly recommend this book. It's called Making Sense of Forgiveness. It's by Brad Hambrick. It is fantastic. Specifically, I would point out there's a chapter that talks about 
earlier, the forgiveness is not reconciliation. It is not trust. He walks through 10 different steps of how do I work back to that? How do I work back to reconciliation or trust after that's been broken? That's just one highlight of many. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.